Hey guys and welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. We're on the Sunday after the night that was supposedly the biggest night in British boxing since Klitschko versus Joshua. Now, I have to preface this by saying I was at a wedding, so I've had to play catch up and I've had to try and watch whatever you know, full fight I could get, so I had to survive the Russian commentary, which is brilliant because it means that you're actually just watching the fight and you're really just getting the analysis based on what you see in the ring. But it was a strange one, wasn't it? No one really wanted to see Luke Campbell versus Lomachenko. There were only two things I really wanted to see in this scenario. Scenario one, you give Luke Campbell a soft title shot and then let him try and have a unification fight. He gets found out. Fair enough, he's had a go. Classic British story, you know, win a vacant belt, hustle it for a bit, hand it over get your money, buy your houses, as Eddie Hearn likes to say. And then on the other side, we wanted to see Lomachenko in with someone like a commie, just to get a sense of what he'd do against a really tough, durable African. And so, so there were questions we wanted around that. I think commies earned his right a lot more. You know, he's fought Easter. He's, he's actually operated at world level a lot more comfortably than Campbell has. So this was a strange one because to the boxing intellectuals, the guys that follow the sport and the, the narrative arcs and so forth. It wasn't a fight we needed, but for the casuals, I fully get why it's good to see Lomachenko on British soil against a Brit. Two Olympic gold medalists, one weight class apart, and it was like, right, who's the best? And people really wanted to see skills on display. Now, the tragedy in all of this is simple. Luke Campbell didn't come to fight. Luke Campbell came to survive and in the process maybe nick rounds and frustrate Lomachenko. Now I can't tell you where that game plan was devised. I really can't. This is a guy that's had close to 400 amateur bouts. They've tried everything to nullify and frustrate Lomachenko. There's nothing you can do with Loma apart from fight him man to man. That is the only approach you can take. It's the only approach likely to earn his respect. And to give Linares credit, when he fought Lomachenko, that's what he tried to do. But Linares' traditional faults of being physically and mentally fragile came to the fore. Which brings us to the fight in question. I tracked what was being said on social media. So when I watched the fight, I expected it to be a heroic attempt by Luke Campbell to resist the savagery and brutality of Lomachenko, and in fact, it wasn't. Now, I'm going to summarize the fight up front by saying this. It was a glorified sparring session. It was the kind of thing you see when you get two really good professionals sparring. Right? If we ever got Joshua sparring to Sora, it would be that kind of scenario. It would be that level. Lomachenko was never in trouble in this fight. He was never uncomfortable, slightly frustrated, but never uncomfortable. So the purpose of this discussion is obviously to look at the fight. And I think it's always easy to look at a fight in chunks of three. The beginning, the middle, and the end. And then to track the psychology and the tactics of the fight through those distinct phases. So if you look at the first, I want to call it the first stanza, to be very Ronald McIntosh. The first stanza 
If we look at the initial part of the fight, this is the bit that's most interesting because round one, I'm expecting to see something. I'm expecting Campbell to, to not give everything away, but to show us that he's in this fight. But what Luke Campbell does is he goes onto the back foot. Immediately he's tentative and he's nervous and the jab has no pop. It's just out there feeling. And in his defense, I can say he was just trying to disrupt Lomachenko and stop him gathering data, as they like to call it. But then instead, what I was really hoping to see as well was Campbell say, I'm not going to give you my strategy. I want you to figure this thing out and I'm going to surprise you further down the line with what the real strategy is. So we end up with the first round where not much is known. Lomachenko's comfortable. Campbell looks like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders and he dare not make a mistake, which was the wrong mindset to have in this fight. I don't think you can outbox Lomachenko. I think you need to accept you have to drag him into deep waters and see if he folds mentally under pressure. I don't think he does, but we need to see if he does. So in the first round, we're no closer to knowing what the hell Campbell wants to do. Then we get to the second round. And what we, do, what we see in the second round now is Lomachenko saying, I've sussed you out, Luke Campbell. The first two punches you throw are just feelers. They're not meant to hurt. They're not meant to disrupt. They're not meant to do anything. So I'm going to attack when you throw those first two shots. And then you will throw a third and a fourth, and I'll counter after those two. And so the pattern of the fight starts to establish at this point. So the reason this is important is it sets the tone for the fight. By the end of the second round, what you're absolutely clear about is Lomachenko can fight wherever he wants. It's not a question of will Lomachenko win. It is just when and it is just how. And it's just how willing is Luke Campbell to take the risks required to cause disruption in the Lomachenko machine. And so Luke's got this thing that says there's a risk-reward factor here. It's round two, and I know I'm out of my depth in terms of technician. His footwork's quicker. He's more balanced. Campbell's footwork was all over the place. This is just by the end of the second round and into the third. And in, early in the third, what you started to see was Lomachenko just accelerate the pace. The moves he was making had that bit more intensity to them, a bit more speed, and Campbell struggled with that step change in pace because now he's like, um, this is hard. And you can see him blowing a bit. He's uncomfortable. And what he's trying to do at this point is survive and maybe Nick rounds by appearing to throw flashy shots. But Loma was catching them off the, what I call the dynamic guard, where he takes a traditional guard that were taught two hands up, but he, he flows with it. So when one hand goes up, the other goes down and vice versa, just so he can get that flow. And he can punch straight out of a defensive move as well. So now we're starting to see him bring the tools out. So we come to the end of the, the first third of the fight. And we're now like Lomachenko's in control. He might stop Campbell. If Campbell bothers to engage, he'll stop him. If he doesn't, it's a long day at the office. But he's, Loma's done some beautiful work. The footwork, making Campbell miss, drawing Campbell into leading off and then countering the double jab to negate the distance and the reach. All these things have all been established now after four rounds. All the tools Lomachenko's going to need from this point on, he's demonstrated. He's shown the judges, listen, yeah, the Loma toolkit's out. Not everything, but enough for you guys to know that I'm in control. I'm not under pressure here. I'm just going to box at my own pace, at my own speed, 
And I'm even going to make it obvious to Luke Campbell what my tactics are. So what Loma did was when he wanted to defend or get a breather, he just moved off to his left. And when he wanted to attack, he came in to his right. It was so easy to read and predict and Luke Campbell struggled with that. This is elementary boxing. Study what your opponent does and react to it. Find the patterns and react to them. Loma wasn't doing anything crazy. There was no voodoo in there. It was just good, solid southpaw boxing. So into the second third of the fight. And now the tools have been sharpened, they've been assembled. Everything's on the, on the worktop, now waiting to be used. And Loma seems to ask himself a question. What happens if I light up Luke Campbell now? And in the fifth round, he had a go. Towards the end of the round, and Luke was saved by the bell. But in Luke's body language, in Luke Campbell's body language, what you saw was a man who thought, I can't live with this for the rest of the fight. He's not letting me breathe. And he wasn't. And he didn't have to. What Lomachenko was able to do was keep that psychological pressure. In range, out of range, it didn't matter. Campbell couldn't relax. And because he couldn't relax... He couldn't think about sitting on his shots and committing more forceful shots to Lomachenko. The times he did it were when he was already in trouble. And we're starting to see the clever things Lomachenko does now. We're into round five and six. And in every clinch, what Loma was able to do was to position himself that Luke, so that Luke Campbell does not get away from the ropes. So Luke would clinch to try and get off the ropes and he'd turn Lomachenko and Lomachenko would carry the turn on. So it's actually like a 360 degree turn. Or if the ref got between them, what Loma did is walked all the way around the referee to get himself back into the middle of the ring and put Campbell back on the ropes because now the ropes became Loma's friend. And that's where the attacks were really bearing fruit and still no adjustment from the Campbell corner, which was needed. So this was the point where if I'm a trainer, what I'm saying is you have to start doubling up on the same side. If it's a double jab to Loma, fine. Jab high, jab low. Or just hook body, hook head. Give Lomachenko something that's going to break his rhythm, even if it's only for 30 seconds. Just break the formula because he's figured you out. But nothing came. Nothing came and you're now seeing that Campbell has no chance in hell of winning this fight. So by the end of the sixth, he's six rounds down in my eyes. What was surprising in this middle phase of the fight was how easily Campbell was losing the battle of the jabs. And the battle of the jabs is always important because it establishes the heartbeat. It establishes the moral tone of the fight. And Loma was able to beat him to the jab. It was seeming like Campbell gave him a huge target to aim at. He was lazy with the jab. He wasn't really committing and he wasn't dynamic enough once Loma started to move through the gears. And so by the end of the second third of the fight, what you're saying is, will he stop him? Because Campbell wasn't committing enough that Loma could get at him. And he wasn't committing enough that he was making the right kinds of mistakes Loma could capitalize on. He just wasn't interested in making this a fight. And then you go into the the final third of the fight, whatever Loma wanted to do, he was able to do. Campbell would try and hold. And actually, to give Campbell his credit, later on in the fight, he was smart enough to, to start hanging on to the ropes. Once he had Loma tied up and pressed against the ropes, he held on so that Lomachenko couldn't move. And so when the ref now broke them up, Campbell could get the middle territory. 
but he wasn't even smart enough to make sure he anchored it and kept Lomachenko pinned to the ropes. And it's these small things, and if you're an upcoming professional, it is these small things that make a difference because psychologically, it's the difference between keeping your man incarcerated on those ropes or letting him free into the middle of the ring. And that affects the morale of a fight. So into that final third, and Luke Campbell, from what I could gather, was just of the view that it's my victory if I get to round 12. I will take great comfort from that. I've been paid. I haven't sustained career-damaging injuries. I just want to get to the end. And he boxed like it. I'm not going to say he boxed like he was scared, but he boxed like he didn't believe he could win. And I think that was the sad part about all of this. Because he could have won. Lomachenko is not this unbeatable monster. But it requires a certain mindset. And that mindset, I think Juan Manuel Marquez said it best when he fought Pacquiao. And the mindset is, you have to go after him. You have to go after him in the very spaces where he thinks he's in charge. So Marquez was always trying to counter Manny coming in because people were scared of that, that Pacquiao rush behind the double jab where Manny would just come in with a double jab, straight left, right hook. And most boxers, after getting hit by it once, would just retreat. Marquez worked on timing that and countering that. It doesn't look like Campbell had worked on anything specific that he could have used against Lomachenko. But there were small things. For example, he could have cut the ring off when Lomachenko started moving to his left. So by Campbell moving to the right behind his jab, he could have done that. But the footwork wasn't there. And that was a shame. And I think this is probably a good time, now that I've said this is how I feel the fight was, was to talk about, you know, were the scorecards fair? I, th- I, th- I just think it was a 120-107 fight. Obviously, not giving Campbell a round. Then factor in the knockdown. And, you know, Bob's your uncle. It was, it was poor. For how it was sold, it was poor. And I'm not going to say, oh, Lomachenko was too good. That's not what it was about. I think a fifth-round stoppage would have been good if Campbell had just gone for it. We would have understood Lomachenko winning. But the not willing to battle for it was, was tough to watch. But it is what it is, and this is what we've signed up to in boxing. Or is it? Because a week ago, Anthony Yard puts in a more aggressive, a more determined performance fully intending to win a world title. He did that. Anthony Yard did that last Saturday. He came up short. He was dropped with a jab, like Campbell was dropped with a jab in the 11th. And Tunde was criticized. And I know his people say, ah, oh, well, he, he brings it on himself this, that, and the third. But if we just keep it focused on boxing, look at the two performances and ask yourself, who really wanted to win a world title between those two? And so my question becomes, are we going to have the same energy directed towards Shane? I hope we don't because I'm always pro-trainer. I'm always pro-trainer and I don't want trainers criticized for this because they can't fight for their fighter. So let's not criticize. Let's give these guys their due. Shane did what he could with a guy who didn't believe he could beat Lomachenko. No matter what you were told about the amateur pedigree, all the times Luke Campbell's done X, Y, Z, and that's all true. But if we really unpick that, it all starts to look slightly different. 
So the root of Luke Campbell's failure to win on Saturday kind of lies in the amateur system this country's had for a long time. So it's true to say Luke Campbell was a gold medalist, and yes, that's very true. So number one, it was a home Olympics, so there's always a home team bias in the Olympics. And if you don't believe that's true, ask Roy Jones Jr. The second thing, and I think this is equally important, Luke Campbell had his best years as an amateur in the clicker era. Those who understand amateur boxing know that there are two ways you can score it. You can score it as a 10-9 round or whatever, you know, as the pros do. Or you score it based on punches landed. So the rule is knuckle part of the glove on the target area with force. It doesn't specify how much force, just with force. And so what that meant was you could have a Golovkin on one side and a Durrell on the other side. And if Durrell landed more punches than Golovkin, even if Golovkin broke his nose, broke his jaw, if, if the tippy-tap, tippy-tap was generating a bigger number, he would win, even if to everyone watching he lost that fight. And so the GB model, as it is, funded by medals, knew it had to adopt that approach. So Luke Campbell is a prime example of that because you select boxers differently. What you do is you select boxers for height. Who's the tallest guy we can get in any weight class? And can we teach them to box? That's where we ended up. So Campbell, being quite a tall guy, boxed at really low weight classes in the amateurs because they knew they could get him to generate the kind of work rate he needed to win. And that's great for winning medals, and it's fantastic. And he did well to win the gold medal. But then it says, but in the pros, you're not going to get away with that. So can you adapt? And by the time he won the Olympic gold, he was... I want to say 24 or 25. He wasn't young. And he'd been in the system a long time. He was indoctrinated into it. <laughs> now all the smart ones would be saying, but everyone else had that same problem. It's all the same judges. Yes, absolutely. The Russian system prepares for that. The Kazakh system prepares for it. The Azeri system prepares for that. The US system prepares for that. But they run two parallel streams. So they'll teach you what you need to do to win a tournament. But they'll also teach you how to box, how to generate power. So when you do turn pro, you've still got that foundation you can rely on. In Britain, we have to teach you to be a professional boxer. And that's what Luke Campbell hasn't managed to achieve yet. Campbell's a good, strong guy who can box well in an amateur style. But he's not a guy who fills you with confidence especially when the going gets tough, that he can just bite down on his gum shield and start ripping body hooks and uppercuts. He just doesn't strike us as that sort of guy. And there's a legacy of that system. I'll give another example. And I know Adam Martin will have a go at me for saying this, but Kurt Garvey is a prime example of a guy who was ABA champion under the clicker system. And he had to learn very quickly that that wasn't working for him. But it worked for him because he's quite a long, lanky guy. But in the pros... It, it just didn't work for him and he's had to adapt his style in order to be successful. There are others who who haven't quite made that adjustment, but that was the system that it was then. Guys like Lomachenko were learning all the systems, all the styles, so he could adapt quicker. That's why Americans adapt quicker. That's why you have a guy from the same intake. Just bear in mind, Luke Campbell is the same intake as Errol Spence Jr. He is the same intake as Jamel Herring, Michael Hunter, 
Dominic Brazil. As all these Americans, they're all peers. And you look at them and you look at him and you go, who struggled to make the, the adjustment? And let's also remember, Joshua struggled to make the adjustment as well. Because they just took that, that tippy-tap formula, made him big and strong and said, go and do that in the pros. And it hasn't worked. And th those are the seeds of Luke Campbell's downfall. It's not anything that's happening now. It's the system he came up in. He was never taught to power up on his shots. And now he's struggling. You know, he's doing two things. One, he's learning how to punch with power. Two, he's moving up a weight class to try and do that. That's absolutely insane. And then if you look at Loma, I know people are going to say he's not bulletproof. And I don't believe he is bulletproof. Is he beatable? Yes, he's beatable, but so is everyone. I'd like to see Lomachenko in with someone who's going to put it on him. Because I look at Vessel Lomachenko and ask this question. Would he beat Marquez at 135? I don't think he would. Would he beat Pacquiao? God, no. Would he beat Morales? God, no. Would he beat Barrera? Oh, maybe. But there are four guys that could hand him a loss, multiple losses. But then he could also potentially beat all of them. But he's in such a poor era, we won't know where to benchmark him. We know where those guys are. They're, they're right at the top table. And we want to put Lomachenko there, but he needs to test himself. He'll be incentivized by getting guys like Devin Haney up to speed quickly. He'll be incentivized if these guys step up. Teofimo Lopez, guys like that who step up. And then we can find out if he really is the best of the best. Um, someone said it on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, but it was fascinating, where they said, Lomachenko's lucky he didn't have that Mikey Garcia fight. I'm not necessarily sold on that, but I do think Mikey Garcia would have given him his hardest fight to date. But overall, I think the fight was, it wasn't what it needed to be for a pay-per-view, in my opinion. And for bringing Lomachenko to the UK, I couldn't have th thought of a, a softer opponent. And it, maybe this is what we're going to see now, just foreign fighters coming together at the zone check and bash up a Brit, like Linares did. You know, Linares, the guy that they were hanging the, the Campbell hopes on. Oh, well, if he can give Linares trouble, he can give Lomachenko trouble. He never really gave Linares trouble. Linares is a physically and fragile... I'll say that again. He's a physically and mentally fragile boxer. And Campbell was just able to exploit that at a higher weight class. So I don't know. I wasn't overly blown away by the fight. It, I'm glad I missed it. And I think it points to a realisation that we need to do better on these pay-per-views. It's not enough just getting an occasion set up. We need fights where there's real meaning in two people going head-to-head. Chisora -head. Parker doesn't do that for me. Josh Taylor versus Progre kind of does. Okoli versus Garbu, nah, doesn't do it for me. Love Lawrence to bits though. But that doesn't do it for me. But I get why they need to do that in order to move him on. But it's not a pay-per-view card. But I didn't want to talk for too long today, guys. I just wanted to discuss that and say, listen, have a great rest of the day, whatever you decide to do. And as always, you know, get in touch at Highfield Boxing on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget September 27th, John Palata fights. Well, equally importantly, Denzel Bentley fights. Uma Sadiq boxes September 14th, so make sure you get yourself down to support Uma because he's, you know, he's a hell of a talent and 
it's good to see him taking on a risk in Luke Blackledge. A lot of people wouldn't take. And I, Uma and I have spoken off the grid. And Blackledge was always a guy I wanted him to face because it's a big name for not that much risk. And the way he's looking in training now, you can see he's he's grown into the pro division now. He He looks the pro, he looks the part, and he's a guy we need to get behind because he's... He's one of our own. He's a guy that came up around our circuit and we need to get behind him for that reason. Even when he blows up, we can't then say he sold out because that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to sell out. But once again, look, guys, thanks. Have a great rest of the day and stay in touch and let's keep this moving forward. Thank you.